I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I'd say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, welcome back to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, your guest host for season five, and we're here with a bonus episode. I'm here with Dr. Hardy, and I'm so grateful to you for coming on this bonus episode of the Millennial Pastor. So thank you for being here. Um, one of the things that really surprised me about these stories that I was somehow not expecting to hear was how often various levels of the administration of the church kind of came up um, as a character in these narratives, especially on the district level. Um, and you've spent some time at, on the administrative side as a district superintendent. Um, and I know that you've listened to all the episodes that we aired. And so I'm really excited to kind of hear some of your story and some of your reflections on this past season with the millennial pastor. Um, so let me start out by asking you kind of what I, uh, ask everyone, which is how did you end up in the church of the Nazarene? All right. Well, great, Britt. It's good to be with you. And, um, first let me say, I'm not a doctor, by the way, I meant to tell you that earlier. I'm, 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 I'm just, uh, I'm just an average guy. I'm a pastor. We'll we'll, we'll say, we'll say Reverend Kevin Hardy. There you go. (laughs) That's fine. Um, so, um, you know, my story began, I was, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, um, in what I call a pagan home. We didn't have any really religious um, training or, or connection at all to church. Mm-hmm. My father passed away when I was 11 years old, leaving my mom with six kids. Wow. Raised, um, the youngest being six months old, my oldest brother being 12. We lived in the inner city of Boston in the 1970s. Mm. racial wars, you know, forced busing, all of those kind of things going on. Mom wanted to get us out of the city. So we moved to um, um, Cape Cod. A friend had a house that she could move into. So we moved there, Mm. um, moved into the house. And within two months, the house was condemned as unlivable. So my mother was homeless with six Mm. kids and we lived in a one bedroom, one room motel room. Um, while we were there. So mom was grieving, six kids, poor, homeless. Um, I began to leave home, went, went, lived in a, a foster home for a while. Mm. Um, and uh, the church of Nazarene reached my mother in a, in an emergency room. There was another lady in the church there that invited mom to vacation Bible school and her and her kids went, I didn't go because I was in a foster home. And uh, mom got saved, became a Christian. Brothers and sisters became, you know, involved in the church. 
and the church really was the instrument that really saved my family really in an amazing mm -hmm. way so that was when I was about 12, when I was almost 16, I was living in a foster home when my mother invited me to go to church with her. I said to her, I'm not going to church, mom. You guys are a bunch of weirdos. Um, I'll do anything, but I'm not going to church. Um, but my foster father at the time said, hey, she's still your mother. It won't hurt you to go to church. You're going to go to church. So he made me go. So I went to church on Easter Sunday, 1982. Um, on a bus, they picked me up in a bus that said, follow me to Sunday school, you know, it was totally embarrassing, but went to church that morning and, um, went to Sunday school, which I'd never knew what that was and clueless. And then that morning I heard the gospel and got saved. I mean, miraculously just, wow. you know, so became a Christian, um, started to walk with the Lord, you know, bumpy years, but overall the church began to love me, became my family. I ended up moving back to my mother's house, my biological family and moved back in with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, all of the effect of that, but basically that's where God, you know, changed my life. And I became a Christian and I became part of the church of the Nazarene. So the only church I know is the church of the Nazarene because it's the church that I found Christ in. And, um, my mother found Christ in it. My brother, my brother is a Nazarene pastor as well. He was saved, um, at a Nazarene campground and, um, became a pastor. So, um, we have deep roots, you know, first generation, basically Nazarenes. Wow. So, which was interesting. A lot of, a lot of those that you interviewed were people that were generational Nazarenes. Yeah. You know, um, they'd grown up in the church. So, mm. Um, but my experience has come as one as an outsider who became a Christian in the church. So um, what an incredible story. Thank you for telling that. Yeah. Um, well, tell me about the, the kind of calling on your life then. How did you end up being a pastor? Well, we were I was in a church that um, the pastor was there for 26 years. He was um, he was the kind of pastor that um, that raised up pastors. I think there are 29 full time pastors out of that church Wow! In, in ministry and two of them being my brother and I. Um, and he was just the kind of person, you know, he'd go to the hospital and say, hey, Kevin, you're going with me. Um, hey, you know, we need a we need a caravan fifth grade boy teacher you know, here, you're going to teach the fifth grade boys, you know, caravan <laughs> class, you're going to be involved in, in this. And we're going to Sunday nights, you know, was, you know, the old Nazarene, you know, break out the hymnals, sing the songs, have testimonies. Mm -hmm. And they would always, you know, say, hey, Kevin, what do you, you got a testimony today? Make me get up and give a testimony. You know, it was that kind of environment where it was just almost like to be Christian was to serve, was to be involved. Yeah. and heavily involved. And through that experience, you know, I began to fall in love with just the church and fall in love with ministry. And when I was about 17, feeling like, wow, I really feel like God's calling me into ministry. And that's where it began. So I started mm -hmm. um, down the journey, went to Eastern Nazarene College, um, studied uh, there, uh, you know, in the religion department, got my first local license, my first district license, and then was ordained, um, you know, and was a youth pastor for many years, got my master's degree from NNU mm. and, um, here I am. So now 35 years later. 
Beautiful. So. Well, um, so fast forward a few decades and kind of okay. tell me, how did you end up being a district superintendent? I know you're not one now, um, but you right. spent some time as a district superintendent. So tell me that story. How did you end up being a district superintendent? Yeah, so um, so I, I pastored, I, at that time, I, pa I pastored three churches as a senior pastor. So I pastored in Concord, New Hampshire, was my first church, mm -hmm. was there for seven years, um, served, um, you know, a small church for about 20 people, you know, so I've done, you know, really small you know, one man show kind of thing. Every you're involved in everything. Um, and then after seven years of being there, the Lord called me to Baltimore, Maryland, where I took over as pastor of the Baltimore First Church of the Nazarene, which mm -hmm. became we changed the name to Crossroads Church of the Nazarene. So I was there for 17 years. Wow. And um, you know, it was one of those things where I really I had no desire to be a DS. I mean, it was never anything on my radar. And I think most DSs believe the same thing. You know, it's not something you really aspire to do. Yeah. If you aspire to do it, you probably should do it, or maybe you shouldn't do it. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I just, you know, I got a call one day. I mean, it was just out of the blue. It was a Saturday morning. I got a call from the regional director of um, USA and Canada. And he said, hey, um, Michigan would like to talk to you about being their district superintendent. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, you know, I said to my wife, Jane, I said, Jane, they they want to talk to us in Michigan. And she was like, no way, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, we were really happy in ministry. We were mm. we loved our church. Our kids grew up there. We you know, we had planted churches. The church was healthy and growing. You know, and if I think by and large, if, you know, there are certain things that probably districts are looking for in district leadership, and that's, you know, evangelism, church planting, reaching out, expansion, that type of thing. And we had done a lot of that at Crossroads. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I said, well, let me pray about it. I prayed about it, you know, and they said, would you come up for an interview? So I, Jane and I flew to Michigan and we interviewed with the district advisory council and the, um, and the regional director. And, um, you know, we were still like, I don't know, I don't know, but is this really what we want to do? You know, we were willing, but not excited about it, you know, mm. because it was, it was a big change. It was, you know, selling, we knew nobody in Michigan. We knew no pastors in Michigan. We had no roots in Michigan. So it was, um, it was one of those callings that I was like, okay, I've always believed, you know, the Lord calls and the Lord sometimes uses churches and sometimes he uses you know, GSs and stuff. Um, you know, my general superintendent that was in jurisdiction at that time was a good friend of mine. He was, um, he, he was, he actually was uh, a man who was a member of my church and was a member of my board mm. and then it, it ended up becoming a general superintendent. So, you know, there was that sort of influence there. He was like, you'd be a great DS. You, you'll do a great job. We need people like you as a DS. And so, you know, it was just one of those experiences where I said, yes, enough times it finally got to the place where they voted at district assembly on the first ballot to elect me. And then I was like, oh, this is real, <laughs> you know, and that was 2017, <laughs> you know, so summer of 2017, we, we, um, we were elected as, as district superintendents of Michigan district. And I served there for three years and it was it was in many ways a wonderful, marvelous experience. In many ways, 
I miss pastoring more than ever being at DS. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, in 2020 or at the end of 2019, we decided that we were not going to continue. I didn't see myself doing it for another 17 years, you know, in my life. And I was like, I just don't know if I can do this. Plus we had a special needs son mm-hmm. that was a down syndrome that really the life of a DS did not fit with him. And we, I just couldn't put him through it anymore. He needed local church. He needed local stability. He needed friendships and relationships. And being a DS, you're at a different church every week. You know, you're just travel, travel, travel. And that, you know, I knew it was bad when he said to me, I hate travel. And he would say it all the time. I hate travel. And, um, you know, so we got to the place where we decided that we were going to leave the district superintendency and come back to the pastorate. So here I am now in Bakersfield, California, in at a church called Olive Mills, and um, for the last two and a half years and enjoying it. So three years as a DS, 17 years in, 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 in Crossroads, three years as a DS, and now two and a half years as a, um, as a pastor again. Mm. And I think I'm a better pastor now. I think being a DS helped me a lot to understand the church, to understand um, I got a better perspective of the variety of our church, the uniqueness mm. of our church, from small churches to middle-sized churches to large churches, to um, helping young clergy work through the credentialing process, um, to you know helping pastors retire, mm. helping pastors who are struggling and going through difficult times, you know when their churches aren't going the way they want it to go, and trying to figure out what to do and um so it's a you know it's it's an awesome responsibility to be a ds it's an awesome privilege but it's uh it's really unique and until you do it you don't fully understand it so um well i i'm gonna kind of um bounce around my questions here a little bit but Mm -hmm. i know that you um have had a chance to listen through all the podcast episodes from this season. First of all, wow. Thank you for doing that. Um, but I wanted to kind of ask you like what, what generally stood out to you in those stories or maybe what surprised you even? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I, I, they were painful. They were, I mean, all of them are heartbreaking in so many ways, you know, and, in so many ways, my heart goes out to each and every one of them in their in their specific journeys. Um, you know, when I first listened to the first one, you know, I thought, well, the, you know, it's going to be it's going to be the LGBT issue that's going to be the ultimate deciding factor. And that was, you know, there was about a third of them I felt like were, you know, OK, that was the deciding issue for them. Um, you know, some of them I knew personally, um, some of them I knew personally in an intimate way. Some of them I knew personally, having been a DS, I had talked to them about becoming a pastor in the district that I was pastoring. <laughs> so I knew kind of their stories. Um, some of them were surprising, you know, in the sense of their experiences, but overall I was, you know, like I say, it was, it was heartbreaking to listen to them. And, Having been a district superintendent, I realized how important a DS is in the life of, of the minister. It mm-hmm. really, it really is. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and not only for the senior pastors, but for the associate pastors, 
for those who have a call to ministry and are getting their first district license, all of those things. And it's a monumental task for a pastor. I know like when I became Michigan, everybody was new to me. Mm. So, you know, I did pretty much didn't know anyone. So every meeting was new. Every, every conversation was new. Every church I went to was new. So mm. um, it takes a while for a DS to get their footing. You know, I didn't yeah. think it took me a couple of years before like, Oh, okay. Now I kind of know what's going on, you know? Mm. Um, and you know, you're, you're, you're the caretaker of the church. You're, you feel like you are the, you, you know, going back to what the role of a DS, you're a shepherd, you're an accountability person. You are the keeper of, you know, when I first became a a district superintendent, they handed me the manual, even put my (laughs) name on it, you know, instead, you know, and you know, what's interesting is as a pastor, we hardly ever go to the manual. Mm. But as a DS, you're in the manual every day. Yeah. You know, you have to like, know, like I read things in the manual, like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. Oh, I didn't mm. know that was in there. You know, but it becomes your, it, it, it becomes the most important, almost the most important book to you other than the Bible, because um, if you don't follow it, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. You know, it's, it kind of is your guide, you know, so mm. So trying to learn how to take this document that has been that has been authorized by the church as the way we govern ourselves mm-hmm. and then to be a shepherd in the middle of that and to be able to sometimes be the buffer between the manual and the pastors or the clergy or the situations that you're dealing with. And not only dealing with that, you're dealing with churches in crisis, you're dealing with splits, you're dealing with you know, um, you know, you're dealing with lawsuits. I mean, there's so much that DS deals with mm. that you're constantly being pulled and tugged in a zillion directions that I can see how sometimes some of these clergy that you interviewed fell through the cracks, sure. didn't get the proper care they needed, didn't mm. get the proper attention they needed. Maybe we're not even aware of what was going on in those in their in their lives until boom, it was right in front of them. And they were yeah. saying they were leaving the church and they were like, whoa, whoa, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so all of those things are, um, you know, it's really one of those jobs that I think um, I have a lot of respect for our district superintendents. I know a lot of them. They really do have, they love the Lord. They love the church. Mm, yeah. um, but it's, 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 um, it's one of those jobs. I think I was saying to you earlier, you know, when I became a DS, um, I had a training session with a with a with a um, an expert DS. So there was there's like a DS Ooh. that is sort of the he's the one that goes and visits every new district superintendent and sits down with them and walks through a bunch of stuff with them. Wow, it's about it's about a six hour time one on one. Okay, with, a, with is basically what you get. And, um, and they do a wonderful job. And that person, I don't know if I can say their name on the podcast or not, but you know, um, it's, it's, it is just phenomenal DS and, um, and it becomes almost like a friend. And then they take all the new DSs and you go to Kansas city and you go through two to three days of training. Mm. You meet people, you meet the general secretary, you meet the you know, you meet the NYI person, you meet the general superintendents that are there in town, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, 
an orientation, you know, because all of a sudden you find yourself in this new role. And then, you know, um, you meet with the, 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 the lawyer of the, of the denomination, which, you know, which is probably the one that is like heavy on you. You're like, whoa, you know, like you are the, you know, the, you are now in the position in the church that is legally binding on so many different levels mm. that you don't even realize. So, you know, you get their personal phone numbers, you get all of their stuff, and then you take all this stuff and then you are deployed. You go to your district and you start being a DS and, um, <laughs> you know, so it it's sounds really terrifying. It really is kind of terrifying and it takes you a while to get your feet under you, but you just kind of, mm. you know, you're like, okay, now I've served as a district advisory board member. I've been the district Sunday school director. You know, I've been on the board of ministry in my career, but you know, you always, as a member of those things, you're always just kind of come and do your thing and then you leave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but now you are the, you know, you're the DS, you're the one that, you know, ultimately the buck stops with you. Mm. So, you know, and you deal with things like, you know, I mean, having to take somebody's credentials is an awful thing to do. Mm. Having to receive somebody's credentials is an awful thing to do. Um, having to deal with discipline is a terrible thing to do. Um, to sit in a board of ministry and decide that we're going to give somebody a license or not give them a license is heart-wrenching. Mm. Um, all of those things are, are really, really hard. So, yeah. you know, I have a lot of grace on our DSs because, you know, they really, when they become a DS, they get some training, but then you're on the job training. Yeah. Now they do gather together twice a year. So they gather together for training in right now in September. They're right now in San Diego, by the way. And, um, and then the general superintendents run a DS's training in February. Mm -hmm. So twice a year, all the DS's come together. The, for, the one in the fall is run by DS's. So they decide their own training, their own kind of networking. And then they do like round tables where they have, all right, these issues over here, you go to this round table and you talk and you go to this. Mm. So you learn from each other. Yeah. You know, you, you, you kind of, um, you kind of have a mentorship and a connection with other DSs that is unique. Um, and then our region, all of that region that I was on, all of us DSs were tight. We met together another three or four times a year trying to, you know, talk about, what we were dealing with in our own particular, what would you do in this situation? How would you handle that? Mm -hmm. um, so there's great camaraderie amongst the DSs. That is, is a wonderful thing in the sense that you at least can help each other, mm -hmm. which is better than when I was a pastor. I didn't, I found that, you know, I was sometimes a, an Island unto myself, yeah. you know, and I didn't find that there was that camaraderie as much. There was a little more, you know, competition in the pastorate than there is in the district superintendency. There's more camaraderie and more connection in that realm than in the pastoral realm. So mm, sometimes so we don't do well. Yeah, we don't do well at celebrating each other's victories and we don't do well at really feeling each other's pain mm. um, as pastors on across a district. So I tried, you know, really hard as a DS. I really tried to approach it as a pastor. You know, I'm one of you. I, this is what I do, you know? Yeah. And, um, and tried to really live in that. But, 
you also find yourself in places where you're asked to do things or asked to be things and you by permission of the manual have to give permission for certain things mm. to churches that want to merge together um this church decides that they want to buy that property and you know they've got you know they they haven't been paying their budgets or maybe they don't have their budgets you know so you have to kind of be the you know, so there's so many different facets of the role of DSs. And um, mm. I think that clergy, if I said anything from after being a DS and having been a pastor, then being a DS and now being a pastor, read your manual. It's really important. I mean, mm. as much I, when I was a pastor, I didn't think it was that important. I was like, mm. manual, I'll go to it if I have to, but, but really it, it is there for you and it's there to protect you it's also there to guide you and it also has some instructions that are beneficial for you and if you know it then if you there's things that could get better you could recommend it to get different to to change it to make it improved mm. you know it's an evolving document every four years so you know there's processes but if I think most pastors sort of t do their class on history and polity, and then they just stick it on the shelf and never look at it again. Mm. And I get it because that's what I did, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, but it's um, you know it's important for us to know what what we're involved in, what we believe. I, I think some of the interviews, some of their pain could have been you know, at least mitigated and dealt with right if they knew the process and they were ordained, they did have a class, they did have a manual, they, there was information there for them, but, you know, you get busy in life and ministry and sometimes you don't even realize it. So yeah, I'm rambling. Well, I'm sorry. No, it's great. I let me dig around in there a little bit because um, yeah. I'm assuming that you as a DS did shepherd people out of the church of the Nazarene into other ministries and denominations. And for the sake of the kind of like mm -hmm. um, question that I'm about, about to ask, um, let's maybe set aside the people that are in, in trouble, let's say, and it's more just the people transitioning for their own, you know, kind of personal reasons or beliefs. Um, so can you tell us about the ins and outs of that process? I mean, I'm sure every case was different, but what was that like for you on the, on the administrative side? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you in the three years, I never had anybody transition out of the church of the Nazarene into another denomination. Oh, wow. That was uncommon. I don't think it's a very common thing for district superintendents. And I think that's one of the issues is that it's, it would, this would be like so listening to some of the stories that of your, of your interviews, I was like, oh, wow, I don't even know what I would do in that situation. Like that, mm. that's, that's a unique situation that is not, it's not as common or as prevalent. So it's not covered in any training. It's sort of one of those things where you're like, okay, it goes back to more of my instincts as a pastor going, okay, well, tell me your story. Yeah. Let me have, let me have empathy and sympathy for what you're going through. Let me understand your hurt, your pain, your reason, and then let me pastor you gently through the process of either reconciliation of where you're at or blessing you as you transition somewhere else. 
but then I'd have to go to my manual and I have to go, okay, what, what are the procedures? Cause I, I haven't memorized that portion, you know, and I'd have to go back and read those portions. And then I'd probably have to call the general secretary's office and say, okay, here's the situation I find myself in. Here's the pastor. Here's their story. What do I need to do? You know, yeah. and I would kind of walk through that. So sometimes and maybe the person who's going through that feels like, man, I feel like I'm sort of out here in no man's land because they kind of are because it's not common. It's not it's not something that they're they've been, you know, they're they're accustomed to dealing with. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and then they might find them at a busy time. They might have 15 other things that are that are pressing, yeah. whatever it might be. But somewhere along the way, I would say. That's why I said to, if I would say to every DS, please listen to all of these interviews, mm. you know, listen to all of them, even as painful as they are, take notes and, and put it in your memory bank that maybe somewhere their stories can help you minister to another person going through maybe not the same things, but maybe some similar things. Mm. And I just think it comes back to pastoral care, love, empathy, sympathy, and um, and knowing that now some of the candidates, I mean, the interviews I, I listened to, they were afraid to talk to the DS. They were yeah. they were not they, they, this would whatever they were dealing with had been going on for a long time. And then all of a sudden they dropped the bomb, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I, I, I should have known this two years ago and walked this journey with you. You know, mm. you didn't have to get this bad, you know, Um so, and sometimes, you know, there are limited resources. I can't remember the specific interview you're talking about, but, you know, a church that, man, they're struggling. They, they don't have enough money for what they want to do or whatever. They're also working a full-time job and their, their spouse is working. They're, you know, they're trying to keep it all together. And I'll tell you what, pastoral ministry, as you know, is hard. Mm. No, it's really hard. And we don't have a system where everybody's treated equally. Mm. That's who we are. You know, that's our polity. And um, one church, a pastor's paid really well. And another church, a pastor's paid terrible, mm. you know. And every time I, as a DS, I would sit down with a church board. And one of the things that I would always do, every opportunity, okay, let's talk about your pastor's salary. And every DS is trained to do that. Mm. Let's talk about your salary. Let's look at your whole budget and let's see if it's in line with what you're doing. What can we do to support your pastor? What can we do to help them? Mm. What can we do to, you know, to increase their salary? And, you know, I think that that's really important. A DS can kind of do that where a pastor can't do that for themselves. Yeah. So that would really help a lot, you know, um, is, is, the pastor needs to share, you know, call your DS on the phone and say, I need to talk with you. Mm. Share the story. Go have lunch with them. Have a breakfast. They will be glad. A DS, every DS I ever known said this. The best day for a, for a DS is when they spend time with the pastor. Oh. That's the best thing. It's really, it, it gave us the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction in what we're doing. It wasn't in a meeting. It wasn't in a board meeting. It wasn't a district advisory meeting. It wasn't in a, you know, was those administrative things you have to do. It was those connections with your pastors. That's the most important thing. 
Mm. So your DS is there for you. They're there for you. Don't see them as your enemy. See them as your pastor who loves you, cares about you, and wants you to succeed. Mm. And if they come at it from that standpoint, and I would say to every DS, do your best to reach out to every, every pastor. Yeah. Make yourself available. Constantly say to them, anybody need my time? Anybody need my time? Mm. Just like I do with my pastoral staff now. We have staff meeting, and I say, anybody need one-on-one time? Anybody need a half an hour? Anybody, mm. and, I, and I make two or three hours of my day available just for them, for whatever they need. Mm. And so it's got to be both in. It can't just be manual driven. It's got to be relationally driven, mm. you know? And, um, and that's, I think, the most important part of, of being a pastor, of being a district superintendent is those relationships. Mm. Um, so that's my thoughts, you know. Well, you know, the let LGBT, me ask you. let me, can I just say oh, one yes, thing please, about please, the LGBT, yes. LGBT yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by and large, I mean, I look at historically where our church has come from, and I look at our new statement on, on human sexuality, mm-hmm. and that was a huge, huge, huge step for our church. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the fact that there was tremendous unity in that, there was there was um, not only across the United States, but the whole world mm. was phenomenal, you know. So it's important that every new clergy, whether local license, district license or becoming ordained, they have a full and complete understanding of where the Church of Nazarene is in this journey as it pertains to this issue that has become the issue in our culture. And um, and they should not be surprised by that. You know, I, you know, I, I, it's probably in some ways the general superintendents say to the district superintendents, make sure you talk about this issue. So it comes down from the GSs to the DSs. Then the DSs go to their minute board of ministerials. They go to their clergy and they talk about that. And then really it was, was it 2000? When, when did we get that statement? 2016 or 17 when we got the statement? So it was all new. So, you know, going out and talking about this was all something new. And so some of the people were put off by that. Our young clergy were put off like, why is that the main issue? Right. Why is that the litmus test? Mm. It's just new. It's mm. just the issue of the day. And, you know, we have to talk about it because our people are talking about it. Our communities are talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. Mm. So. You know, I would say that, you know, we, we definitely need to talk about it. And if, if somebody like some of the clergy that decided to leave the church say, you know what, I don't agree. Well, the Lord bless you. It's okay. We can, we can choose to disagree, but to be a clergy in the church of Nazarene and to be ordained, um, we have to be on the same page on that, Mm. you know? So, um, you know, it's okay for them to, to feel like they can go. And then now many of them went to the UMC church, which is interesting because they're in the middle of the same debate. They're not completely there, you know? So, um, you know, so trying to find the right spot where they feel like they are supported and they can be who they are to their own convictions Mm -hmm. is important. And um, I don't, you know, it's one of those things that I'm not really sure how we can fix all of that for somebody who really feels like the church is wrong and where they stand mm. other than to say, well, 
the Lord bless you. Just like I've had people come to my church and say, I can't really go here anymore because I don't agree with this. As much as I want to say, well, we'll just change it just for you. I can't, mm. but I can say, you know what? The church is bigger than us. And the church is bigger than the church of a Nazarene. And we are part of the greater body, the Catholic church, the greater church of Jesus Christ, which is unique. Mm. So, anyways, just thoughts there. Yeah. I also thought that was very curious that a lot of them um, landed in the United Methodist church. And I wonder if it's just because even though they're wrestling, it seems like they're maybe like more open while they're having a conversation to people expressing various viewpoints and um you know mm -hmm. the maybe maybe their wrestling is like a little more open-ended than ours is mm -hmm. um where mm -hmm. we kind of eventually draw that hard line they're like well we mm -hmm. haven't quite drawn that line yet so why don't we keep talking about it you know yeah and i you know you're probably right i think we have we have you know i mean that that unity of that statement that we decided that was going to be new in the, in the manual was a pretty big line. It was, and for the church to come together and to make that statement was, you know, um, a huge, and not everybody agrees with the statement that's in the statement. Some think it's not, it's, it's too liberal. Some think mm. it's too progressive. Some think it's too not, it's not strong enough, you know, mm. Um, but whatever it is, I think you're right. I think that, um, that, you know, can we have an open conversation about LGBTQ within the clergy ranks without feeling like we're afraid that somebody's going to come take our credentials? I think we should be able to. Mm. So I had, I had pastors that talked to me about it, you know, and they were struggling with it. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to mm -hmm. question. It's okay to talk. It's okay to converse. Um, you know, but it's another thing to start saying, okay, now I'm going to preach a different sermon sure. from the pulpit and I'm going to, or I'm going to, you know, perform weddings of same sex couples. Um, mm -hmm. Those would be issues where you say, well, that you're, you're really violating the covenant you have as a minister in the church of the Nazarene. So can we talk about it without, you know, without going across that line? I think we should be able to. And I think there's a lot of places where we can. There's probably still some places we can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, um, if you, having been a, a district superintendent for a few years, if you could change something about the expectations there or the way that that role works um what what would you want to see evolve there on that administrative side of things hmm, what would i want hmm that's a great question i don't know if i've thought about that um I mean, being elected DS, I would say that, you know, first, I think the process of becoming a DS, what the system that they've sort of using now is um, probably better than the open ballot, where people were just elected by virtue of name recognition. I think the process of trying to 
um, interview, talk, try to find like-minded or mission-minded people that fit that district is a good thing. I think they're trying to, I think that the, I think that that is, is a good thing. Although I would say that if I was going to be a DS, I would rather have been a DS in the district that I really knew than mm. going to a district that I didn't know. Sure. You know, um, I would have at least had relationships that were there. Now, sometimes being the guy from the outside is a good thing. You see things that nobody else sees, mm. you know, and, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go as a missionary mindset. You have to go and learn a culture and things like that. So no, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think the D- district superintendent doesn't have a lot of power. They, mm. People think that the DS has a lot of power. He doesn't have a lot of power. His, his power is very limited, you know, his or her power. Sorry for just using the word his It should be both. Um, you know, we should have, I would love to see more, more diversity in our, in our district superintendencies, you know, no doubt about that. But I think that district superintendency reflects what the church of Nazarene is mm. by and large, we are a white church. Mm. Um, and most of our clergy, um, are, are white males, mm. you know, that are well-known, mm. you know, so, um, Maybe you know, we could so, do a better job with the female representation there. On yeah, the it's just got to go up, you know. Yeah. I thought, you know, the, uh, you know, the process now, at least you could have, you know, a district could say, we're going to interview, you know, we're going to interview five candidates. Two of them have to be females. You mm-hmm. know, two of them have to be, one of them has to be a Latino or, you know, and maybe somehow to try to get the other voices in it. Um, where if it was just an open ballot, anybody would be elected, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I got elected, there was somebody who posted online, you know, oh, there's Kevin Hardy, another white male being a DS, (laughs) you know, and I remember reading that myself and going, well, I didn't sign up for this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm white. (laughs) Like I can't do anything about that. And I really didn't choose this. You know, it mm. wasn't something I, I really was longing to be. I wasn't mm. anything that I that I candidated for. I didn't send a resume for it. You know, I nobody. So it wasn't like it's not like those who are chosen to be at DSs are there because of their choice. They're there right. because they've been asked. So yeah. we just got to ask better. We got to diversify better. We've got to do that better. I mean, even even DSs bringing resumes to churches. A lot of churches, you know, I brought a, I brought a resume of a female pastor and, you know, they they wouldn't even look at it, you know. So but that wasn't always the case. There were many of them. They were they were just as embracing of a female pastor as well as a male pastor. You know, they were equally there. So um, <clears throat> pastors, DSs have the power to appoint. I always I I appointed more females than I did males. Mm. and a lot of them that were associates that were really good associates that were like you know so you know i think that the 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 scoop on ds is not having enough females is definitely true because there's only one right now i think there was none when i was a ds in the u.s yeah Mm -hmm. in the u.s in canada i think there was one and there's another one in canada too so Mm -hmm. i think there's two yeah um you know so but, um, you know, I think the new process at least gives a better opportunity for greater participation in the level of, 
of district superintendency. But we have to, in order to increase those numbers, we got to have more female pastors in more prominent churches. Mm. You know, they, they've got to be able to serve so that they can lead. Leadership is something that's not just by our gender, but by not by our whole life, by what we do and how we lead. And, you know, Britt, you're a great leader. I mean, you're, you're, you're a great leader. What you're doing and the, the longevity that you've done it and the influence you have is incredible. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's not, I mean, I've had some of my very best associate pastors have all been females, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're some of the best. I just love them to death. They give, mm-hmm. they bring energy and life and perspective that sometimes us guys don't see. Mm-hmm. We got to work together. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what else other than that. I think, you know, it's, um, I, I don't know what else I would change about it. Yeah. Well, um, just kind of uh, wrapping up, I'm curious, what would you want people to know about what it's like to be a district superintendent? If if millennials, you know, listen to this podcast, um, what would you want them to hear you say about the administrative side? Well, I would, I would first, like I said, I think I said this a little earlier. They were all really good people. Mm. Genuinely, they are, they are, they love the Lord. They love the church. They have, they have, most of them have experiences in life and ministry that have demonstrated that they are, they are worthy of the leadership that the positions they have mm. and um, see them as your friend as your as your shepherd not as your adversary see them not as just a policeman who's trying to police the church i think that's the least thing that a ds likes to do although mm. sometimes we find ourselves in those roles um see the bigger picture you know see the bigger picture don't just view everything from your own little island but see the see the greater picture get involved you know um, you know, be willing to serve at the campground, be willing to serve, you know, in, in uh, district assembly, be willing to be there and be involved in, you know, the conventions or the leadership events that are going on. Um, be willing to serve on any of the district boards. Um, and like I said, get to know your DS, get to know them, invite them out to dinner and then you pay the bill. You know, <laughs> if, if that's what it takes, you know, mm. but bless them, you know, and and get to know them. Just think about them as if you wanted a board member to treat you as a pastor mm. you know? um, and how, you you know, they don't know the role fully, the role, what it means to be a pastor. You don't fully know what it means to be a DS until you try to walk in their shoes and listen to them and be a part of them. I've had some phenomenal DSs over the years that I have great respect. Did I agree with them all the time? No. Did I, did I think they were always making the right decision? No. Did I always, were I the guy in the district assembly sitting there going, well, if I was DS, I would do it this way. You know? Yeah. I probably did that at times, but it was arrogant for me to do that because I didn't really know and didn't really experience what they were experiencing. So 
let's have a little more empathy and a little more sympathy for each other, both yeah. ways. Yeah. I think we'll, I think the church will be better. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's some pastoral lessons there um, for us to learn from, from DSs to find more camaraderie and um, communication and collaboration among local churches and local mm-hmm. pastors, rather than feeling like there's some sense of uh, competition between us. We can be on mission together. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I'm praying that the Lord would bless you and bless all of those interviews you had. And Mm. my prayer, you know, I've been praying, Lord, may some of them come back. Mm. May some of them journey back and find a place that says you're welcome. Mm. We, 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 we embrace you back and be part of the family and part of the church of this Nazarene tribe. It's a great church. It's got its spots and wrinkles, <laughs> but it really is a great church. So, mm. um, and I love it. I was saved in it. I was sanctified in it. I was trained in it. I found my wife in it. My kids are now in it. I, my son is a youth pastor, um, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a good church. It's not perfect. It has things that it can get better, but we can get better together, yeah. not apart. So, um, so let's, uh, let's reach a world that's hurting with the gospel Yeah, and love on people. Let's find another mm. hearty family in a motel room mm. that needs a church to love on them. And as a result, mm. that whole family got saved and two of yeah. those kids are now clergy in the church of the Nazarene. Yeah. How does that happen? That Mm. it happens. So that's what we got to be about, you know, and Mm. um, sometimes we fight too much, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, um, Pastor Hardy, thank you so much for taking the time and the vulnerability to kind of be here and um, help us see things from one more perspective. I really appreciate your perspective and your story. So thank you. You're welcome. Blessings to you and blessings to all those who listen. Mm, Amen. All right.